Hi, welcome to Talking Usework. My name is Rui Branco and together with Anita Silva, we bring you a podcast where we interview usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework, either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can use workers shake up, upgrade and innovate on their daily work. Hi. Today we talked with two wonderful researchers, Maria Carmen Pantea and Dunja Potocnik, who were leading the study commissioned by the Youth at Work partnership about employability in young people. It's called Employability Revisited. You can find it on the internet. And it aimed to map the role of youth work in the field of employability and entrepreneurship with young people. Now, they have such a big body of knowledge about the topic, about how practitioners, youth workers and policymakers interact and how their actions intersect in this uh, field. They had such uh, interesting um, recommendations to youth workers about where should we put our focus on, on developing the competences around employability um, for young people, or should we be lobbying for bigger changes on higher levels so that the employment policies can be more, actually more inclusive, more efficient. So it was a very interesting conversation around these issues about what is actually our role in the middle of all this. I invite you to join us and talk some youth work. Welcome, Mia and Dunia. Welcome to our podcast. Hello, Anita and Rui. Thank you for having us. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I'm, I'm today I'm speaking from Lisbon. We always have this thing that we start saying where we are. Rui, where are you? I'm in Carcavelos, near Lisbon also. And Dunia, you? I'm in Zagreb in Croatia. Okay. And I'm in Cluj in Romania, in Transylvania. Ooh. Okay. Very nice. Yes. So we were just discussing that the weather is very different everywhere. <laughs> Dunia, you have a storm there. Yeah. Uh, Mia, you have all the stations in one day, all the weathers, and we are here on a 30 degrees and it's really warm. It's, a, it's, um, it's really interesting to have you today to discuss employability in the sense that uh, we are still working with uh, both UMAC and Youth at Work, supporting the podcast, and you were the researchers responsible for a very interesting uh, study that I want to talk about in uh, in a minute. But before, I would like you to uh, make a short presentation of of your work and especially e explaining us how did you ended up uh, interacting in the youth work field. So maybe I invite Dunia to start um, maybe with the presentation, if that's okay. Yes, thank you. I'm Dunia Potocnik, a sociologist and a youth researcher from Croatia. I work at the Center for Youth and Gender Studies at the Institute for Social Research in Zagreb. I actually do have experience in leading NGOs, more concretely NGOs of the young scientists and professionals. Mm -hmm. And I have been working with the youth NGOs for almost 20 years. 
Yeah. I used to work as a high school teacher. And after that, I got uh, a job at the Croatian Employment Service as a job counselor, which was a very valuable experience because I got a chance to see how the institutions work from inside, which is something that researchers usually don't have opportunity to experience. Um, my work as a job counselor was followed by employment at the Institute. And since then, I'm committed to studying youth and working on action-driving uh, service. Uh, my fields of expertise include both uh, quantitative and qualitative service in the areas of youth, employment, uh, education, social structure, inequality, mobility, and digitalization. My PhD was on the social structure and intergenerational social mobility, which means uh, in, to what extent uh, the social position of the child changes in comparison to those of their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, my project, my largest project deals with the uh, gender pay and pension gap mm-hmm. and includes quantitative and qualitative insights on the samples of the high school students and managers in the health, social security and education service. Throughout my work, I always include policy dimension and I'm a member of the pool of European Youth Researchers since 2010. And actually, I work with the Council of Europe and with the European Commission in the field of youth and science policy since 2005. Wow, wow, okay. That's a lot to take in. But uh, interesting, and very interesting that you have this, both, both these visions between of inside the NGOs and as a researcher uh, looking at this subject in, as, in a larger way, let's say. Okay, thank you. Mia, what about you? I'm associate professor in social work at Babes Boyer University in Cluj, in Romania. And unlike some of your previous guests, my professional trajectory does not contain any spectacular career conversions because I've always seen myself in a teaching research position and the policy role added up gradually in a rather organic way, if I may. Uh, I have a rather mixed background in the social field, did a master in gender studies at the CU and then one in evidence-based social interventions at Oxford. My entire research can be located in the area of youth studies. I uh, look at the ways work in its broader sense intersects young people's lives from youth entrepreneurship, volunteering and migration to graduates over qualification. I recently published a book with Paul Grave on the meanings of work for the young people in vocational education and training, and I coordinated a research project on graduates holding overqualified jobs in call centers in Romania. This has been a recent uh, uh, project. Uh, in terms of youth work, my first important policy-related role was the evaluation of the research and policy strand of the partnership on youth between Council of Europe and European Commission back in 2008, right after I completed my PhD. Uh, the role was impressive. Usually it comes after people have a career behind and it was a huge responsibility and I was honored that him of the partnership, Hanyo Shield was the coordinator at the time, trusted me with such an important role very early in my career and it meant a lot for my professional development. Since then, I remained close to the youth partnership as a member of the pool of European youth researchers. And in this way, I carried out various roles at the intersection of policy and research. 
Uh, more recently, I became a member of the editorial team of the European Training Foundation, where I found a research community with similar interests. It's a great feeling to study topics that are rather marginal back home, such as vocational education and training, and then to find like-minded peers doing the same work elsewhere. So this is what the European Training Foundation is to me. Apart from this, I regularly evaluate for Erasmus+, Plus, Horizon 2020, Marie Curie, European Science Foundation, COST, and the like. So, all in all, the assignments on behalf of the European Commission help me have a closer understanding of how policy change unfolds and what roles can policy play. I very much trust the idea of writing with a purpose, and I was lucky enough to work for policy projects that did value critical research insights. And uh, the book uh, we are about to speak is uh, one of those uh, fortunate um, so, so let's go into that. Let's go into that. The, the study uh, was commissioned by the Youth at Work uh, Partnership, and it's called Employability Revisit. Uh, the subtitle is Mapping the Role of Youth Work in the Field of Employability and Entrepreneurship. And I would start to ask uh, Mia, how, how would you summarize the essence of this study in terms of uh, the methodologies used and uh, what was the purpose, what, what was the aim uh, of, of this study? Yes, first, uh, I think it's important to have a bit of a background for those less familiar with the Youth at Work Partnership. It is a transnational institutional alliance fostering youth employability and entrepreneurship through the Erasmus Plus and European Solidarity Corps. So this is what uh, it is uh, stands for. Uh, the partnership is rather recent, but it's growing fast. The change uh, of activity is uh, a process that amazes me uh, all the time. I'm entering their website, so I discovered there is so much going on. It's an increasingly vibrant alliance. Uh, so they, uh, the Youth at Work uh, Partnership, uh, invited me and Dunia to write this study in order to inform decisions on priorities and actions taken, especially in the new Erasmus program for education and youth, which will begin uh, with a, a new uh, cycle of the Youth at Work uh, in uh, 2020. Their proposal was to carry out a review of the literature on youth employability and entrepreneurship, then to map the European policy on youth work actions related to this, and finally to explore the perspectives of those involved in youth work as practitioner policymakers, um, which uh, which was a, um, a concern uh, uh, at the time. In doing this, we designed an online survey distributed to a large community of youth workers, policymakers, people from the industry, etc., and many of whom applied for a major event uh, of the Youth at Work Partnership. Uh, we were thrilled by the high number of responses, really. There were in total 433 respondents. So uh, this survey included a statistical part, and Dunia took over uh, that uh, and a qualitative one, rather unusual for a survey. So basically, we asked respondents, provided a possibility, what would you change in the way youth organizations deal with youth employment and entrepreneurship? Uh, what would you change in the way state institutions and then companies and then EU policies uh, deal with youth employment and entrepreneurship? So over 100 respondents uh, took up the challenge and engaged with these questions. There were, you know, in the end, over 400 narrative responses from very brief to very elaborate. Uh, so we uh, really felt there was an 
immense need among those involved in youth work to express their concerns and expectations. It sounds like a cliche, really, but uh, uh, as we uh, speak about voice and participation all the time, but it is a different thing to read over 400 responses to the questions that were felt so meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, and the book was uh, read during the summer of uh, 2019 and launched in Istanbul at the Youth at Work uh, kickoff conference. And many of those who took part in the research were also present at the conference. And it was extremely engaging to, to close the circle in, in, in a way and to present the findings uh, of what was uh, a collective adventure, I would uh, rather say. And then maybe I would take it from there and, and ask Adunia, what were the, the, the things that struck you the most as results from, from this, all these questions, both the qualitative part and, and the uh, quantitative part? I was actually pleasantly surprised that so many youth NGOs or NGOs dealing with the young people have very serious and responsible projects uh, that are trying to empower pe young people and to better equip them to you know, to position themselves on the labor market. And in the light of this, one of the most shocking results is that uh, less than one third of the NGOs in the areas of youth and employment get consulted when it comes to the youth or employment policies, which is really very sad. So, so less than one third, less than one third gets consulted, like? That's right. All right. So they, they're expected to lead some role in the society and to empower young people. And at the same time, they're not having any influence when it comes to creating new policies or viewing the old policies and so on. So in order to resolve this tension between youth work and demands put before youth work, uh, we have to place greater trust in the capabilities of young people and youth NGOs and help them to develop new understanding and new types of employment and entrepreneurship that actually can combat current mainstream trends and actually can achieve positive impact for the individuals and society. And this implies that there should be enabling social, infrastructural and financial assistance, mm -hmm. uh, which is very tightly related to Another one, uh, another result which is very shocking is that majority of these organizations actually rely on donations, either from national or international sources, and that there is no structural funding. So they're actually caught in this uh, hiatus between expectations and reality. <laughs> and at the same time, there is increased risk of instrumentalization of the youth work. Uh, very often, politicians uh, are very proud of some of the achievements of the youth NGOs. Mm -hmm. And uh, they actually use these achievements as additional pressure, uh, as a tool for additional, to, to put additional pressure on the youth NGOs to make some more efforts in the field of youth employment and entrepreneurship, which is not uh, an inherent role of the youth NGOs. And, and I, I think you value several interesting things. So first of all, the first thing you, you said that struck me so much that less than a third in, that, than, um, of those NGOs that participated in the study, uh, half than a third feel that they are listened to. 
So the others, although they are experts in working directly with young people, they have a firsthand uh, knowledge of how are young people dealing with the job market, with their lives, with their competences, etc. Um, they are not being listened to when the policies are drafted. And therefore, then when the policies come, many times they are not aligned with the reality of, of youth work itself. That, that's what I understood from what you said, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then on top of that, they're not funded. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like a vicious circle. Mm. And especially in this time of uh, COVID pandemia, youth NGOs are striving even more to help the young people. And youth work is becoming more and more precarious and difficult. And there should be some new pathways uh, made. Yeah. There's one thing that I read in your study that uh, really, yeah, I, I, I had to think about it. And it's, maybe it's very obvious. Uh, I'm going to read just this little paragraph. And it says, the research data shows that the current generation of young people is more highly educated than any generation before it, yet at the same time, is it is at greater risk of becoming impoverished or social, socially excluded. The precarious situation in the labor market is not just an economic issue, it affects many other areas of young people's lives, including social trust and civic engagement. And this really struck a chord with me because I work, when I work as a trainer of youth workers, I have a strong focus on how we help young people become active and involved citizens. But of course, employability affects their capacity to participate because obviously poverty and social exclusion takes away a lot of uh, opportunities to, see, to be civically engaged. So I don't, I don't know if, if one of you has insights on this or, or wants to share something on, on this aspect of this generational generational win that we are education is becoming more democratized, but at the same time, then the labor market is not really um, becoming bigger, let's say, to include us all. Well, um, I think it's it's complex, but uh, still, it's it's important to um, to have in mind that uh, youth unemployment uh, has always been there. Uh, young people had hard times to to get uh, into the labor market, and it has always been uh, that way. However, there are several ways the current situation differs differs from youth unemployment of the previous generations. Research identified an increase in long-term unemployment, for instance, mm -hmm. among the young people and the erosion of the traditional career ladder. So young people are more likely to move horizontally, that is to change the employer, to change the company, to move across the road, uh, but less likely to move vertically uh, in the same company, to have uh, roots of, of progress uh, inside the, um, the company. Uh, on the other hand, youth employment is perceived as an indicator of a healthy economic climate, but it is not necessarily a way out of poverty. So many young people can hardly make a living, although they are working. So we do have an unsolved tension uh, here. So the political demand for more jobs have to take into account the actual quality of employment. And it's it's more or less the same with the, the policy uh, discourse on entrepreneurship, for instance. We need more critical lenses to explain or self-employment, which is often used as a proxy for youth entrepreneurship. But it is 
closer to bogus employment than to entrepreneurship because of being the effect of push factors oriented towards subsistence. So young people, women, minorities may enter entrepreneurship by choice or by need when the labor market is unfriendly. Mm -hmm. uh, so half of uh, um, all workers uh, in the developing world are self-employed without this being necessarily linked to high productivity, growth or innovation. So we really need to, to be more critical when we speak the language of youth uh, entrepreneurship. Besides, not all social problems can be solved through a market solutions. So issues such as youth homelessness, drug addiction are, are, are examples. So new ways of actions such as activism may put pressure for social institutional change. Yet activism requires proactive citizens able and willing to take action for claiming social justice. So we have a new unsolved tension, as you, Anita, mentioned, between being a good citizen, that is following the rules, policies as they are, and being an active citizen, mm -hmm. a person who interrogates the policies that are unjust and calls for structural change. So the role of youth work needs to be discussed in this respect as well. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, some respondents to our survey called um, uh, increased, for increased cooperation with the government, but others rejected that. To them, youth work needs to maintain its independent ethos and the links with the, the authorities and the, the power structures uh, were not uh, something uh, to be aimed for. So uh, we need to, to keep, keep that in mind when, when uh, thinking of solutions uh, that yeah. are... Yeah, because, because it is true that if in one way I'm going to be funded by my local uh, government, uh, and at the same time I've been asked uh, as as somebody who has a voice on 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 the definition of policies. There might be a moment where I have to disagree with my funder, and you know that that need for funding, the fact that the funding is not guaranteed prior to that. Um, leaves us in a, in a situation where uh, how much can we say? How much can we actually, how much power can we, we say? And, and this really led me to, to, to think when I was reading your, your study about my role as, as, a, as, a, as a youth worker and as a trainer of youth workers in the sense that it is sometimes very tempting to keep the status of things as they are and do my job in brackets. I say this, do my job by delivering, for example, more training for young people. So I deliver more training to develop their competences. I keep this narrative that what's going to solve the problem is them getting more <laughs> competences, which might not be because like you say, structural changes are needed. But I keep this narrative, I keep this status quo. And instead of that, maybe I could be giving voice to the young people and actually uh, lobbying um, for different policies, for a bigger change in terms of, of, uh, of the, the policies and the structures around me, so to, or to build a community of youth workers and trainers that would have a voice. So I, I don't know if you have insights on this, but for me, this really struck me that what is my role then? What is my role? Is it to develop the competencies of employability? Is it to fight for different policies and say, no, I'm not going to push young people to keep learning if they don't have opportunities out there. I don't know if one of you would have some insights on this. 
Uh, my dilemma. <laughs> well, to me, if I may, uh, young people are more than labor force. Mm. Uh, and youth work is a, a good place to unfold many other possibilities of seeing young people. It is so limiting to read everything in terms of employability. We can do that. Uh, um, but uh, but it's uh, really limiting our horizon of possibilities. So young people go abroad, meet new people, influence others' lives in meaningful ways, open up themselves as persons, imagine better lives or relating to the community back home, have ambition of, of doing uh, uh, something back, uh, and um, why necessarily reducing this complexity to employability? It's, it's valuable on the labor market, of course, but it's much more than that. And here we have the COVID crisis where people worked from home when possible, but when not our economic selves matter that much. Uh, of course, money makes the world uh, go round, but there is so much else we are missing when we embrace this single story of uh, the employability uh, narrative. And what what is wrong with that? Uh, it's that a major problem with the concept of employability is that it locates the problem with the individual young person. So there is this tendency to attribute young people alone the responsibility of their employment destiny. So we have this uh, pervasive culture of making yourself more employable mm. um, that has an uh, individual at the center and the idea of competition. So young people compete and they are less likely thus to see themselves as part of the same um, situation to develop solidarity, for instance. So young people perceive uh, there is there are not enough um, opportunities out there. So we have to be mindful of the the, the language that we are uh, using. We speak about the hunt for talent. Uh, are we really hunting? Uh, out there, so uh, this there is a language that calls for interrogation, and I think that youth work is in a, a very good position um, to to stand for uh, a critical look to to the policy on uh, employability. Dunia, you want to add something? I would definitely agree with Mia, and I would only like to add that. Um, I worked on the study on a field survey which included co a qualitative survey on the young people mm -hmm. who had the mig migratory aspirations. So they were planning to go abroad. Mm -hmm. And Croatia is one uh, among the European countries with the highest uh, immigration rates and at the same time with the highest youth unemployment rates. Young people were saying that they are very thankful to get employment opportunity abroad, but at the same time, uh, they valued very much uh, experience with new people, uh, embracing new cultures, traveling, uh, maybe finding some new lifestyles. So employment is only one of the means to uh, reach a meaningful life. Right. And this is something that young people nowadays uh, are striving for. So to, to create meaningful lives for themselves. It goes beyond the job. It's, it's really about the purpose and the meaning that they see yeah. in, in the, and the quality of life that they can have. Besides the career. Well, uh, if uh, we speak about career, because um, there is a, a saying that uh, some people have jobs and those more advantaged have careers. So if you see your the meaning of your life as laying beyond work, that also speaks about the precarious work you are doing. 
because it replaces work as a status uh, indicator or as a matter of, of personal meaning. So as long as young people don't uh, identify with the work they are doing, they search for other identifiers in the consumption sector, for instance, in the consumption world. And uh, there is a deliberate interest on uh, on keeping young people um, there in, in buying stuff and being one of its at the core of the uh, consumption uh, society. So we have to be mindful of the the meaning, the changing meanings uh, of, of work because they, they reflect uh, um, the, the society and its um, uh, transformations. You're saying that it has to do with uh, identity, that the work that the young people do and the way they consume relates also to their identity? Well, um, many young people don't define themselves in terms of work they are doing, but rather uh, speaking about the, the na naming the company they are working for, for instance. Okay. So this tells something about their, the way they project themselves as working beings. Uh, it um, it uh, it reflects the the in a way uh, the the crisis of of status. Uh, which reflects the the way the work they are doing is not reflecting their aspirations. Um, they uh, come to understand the mechanisms uh, keeping them in precarious work while selling the uh, the idea of uh, personal progress when there is little personal progress uh, uh, going on. So um, as um, young people become aware of um, of, of the, the different um, constraints they are uh, that are limiting their aspirations, I think uh, it, it's important to, to dig in and to, to uh, uh, help young people uh, make sense of the, the complex issues such as what is work for me, what matters to me, who I am, and uh, I think that youth work. Um, should be part of, of this, this process. Mm -hmm. One last question in, about the study itself. Um, at a certain point, you talk about a crisis in place, a crisis of vision. And I, I would like to invite one of you maybe to explain a little bit more what you meant with this in the study, this, this crisis of vision in terms of youth work, you know, this, this triangle, young people, youth work, and, and employability. Would one of you like to explore that? This was actually a, one of the theses of Mia, so Mia could describe. <laughs> well, um, there are many, uh, youth work is, uh, has a whole history of uh, being reflective, and uh, this is uh, uh, yet another uh, way of um, asking itself uh, um, what is going on. Uh, survey participants stressed that the state and its institutions have to ensure all young people have access to opportunities, irrespective of socioeconomic status, ethnicity, and so on. But according to many respondents, states face a crisis that is not only economic in nature, but also a crisis of vision, mm -hmm. of innovative ideas and approaches in dealing with highly complex problems such as youth employability. And many called for long-term policies instead of short-term plans and were in favor of prioritizing young people's needs over those of the market. Uh, at the same time, some respondents share their trust in the value of cross-sectoral cooperation and uh, uh, the inclusion of entrepreneurial learning and, and so on. Mm -hmm. So. Um, 
what uh, what the crisis of vision stands for it's uh, a sense of of youth work uh, noticing that the social problems uh, facing young people became so intricate and uh, so hard to deal with that uh, there is a need for a different approach than uh, short terminism that is characterizing the the uh, policy making processes in in many ways so they were in favor of of, um, of um, stepping back and asking ourselves as societies, as institutions, uh, uh, what kind of society do we want to live in and what can be done uh, now and what can be done on the long term in order to reach that. Mm -hmm. uh, because speaking only the, the language of the, um, econom the economic language of uh, employability and entrepreneurship uh, may not, uh, may be part of the solution, but may not be the whole thing. So this is what the uh, crisis of vision uh, um, came as a, as a, as a concept uh, to reflect that uh, sort of uh, unsolved uh, dilemma. Mm -hmm. And I would link to that in, with Dunia's experience, because Dunia, you were part of, of NGOs. Yeah. You know how NGOs work and struggle. Um, what would you, what would you advise NGOs to do in this, in this, in this uh, landscape? I mean, First, do you see it as reasonable, as expectable, realistic that NGOs can fulfill this role that is being asked from them? And depending, yes or not, doesn't matter. How, what do you think should be the crucial action from NGOs? What's your personal take on that? On the basic level, to be proactive in influencing policy changes, mm -hmm. so to fight for their voice to be heard. And another one, which is very important, is to try to be less fragmented. Uh, NGO scene is uh, on the national level, on the local, on the international level, it's very fragmented. And very often NGOs fight for the very small financial and infrastructure resources. There's a lot of competition. They help themselves if they match these resources and try to uh, undertake some joint actions. Hmm. It would be easier, it could be more efficient, they could learn from each other, because youth NGO scene is so full of experienced, enthusiastic, skillful people. Hmm. And if they join these uh, skills, experience, and their resources, they could do something more, one step more. I think that's a very, very good advice. Well, before we go, we still have two more questions. One is the questions uh, left by our previous guests. So before we go, um, two more questions. One of them is our traditional question from a previous guest. And I'm going to ask each one of you to answer it briefly. Uh, maybe, I think, Dunia, maybe partially you already answered to it. How can we close the gap between policy and practice? How can we close the gap between policy and practice. Dunia, do you want to start? Uh, for start, um, we should empower young people to be able to have their voices heard, mm -hmm. to understand the democratic processes, to understand politics and policy, and then we should engage them into policy making. 
uh, into policy making, into policy implementation, and which is very important into monitoring and evaluation of these policies. Right. Because very often, even if young people or youth NGOs are included in policy making, they are not included in monitoring of implementation or in evaluation of implementation or in reviewing of these policies. So very often this is only um, engagement in very in a very small fragment of the process. So young people and youth NGOs should be engaged all throughout the process. And also researchers and youth researchers should be involved in the process. So throughout the process, because researchers very often have original data, uh, follow the, the young population and they have uh, the right statistics that could help the process. Very good. Thank you. Mia, would you add anything to that? Uh, well, I would, uh, just for the sake of adding to complexity, if I may, uh, I would uh, just bring into the, the equation uh, the idea that we have an unsolved tension, again, another one, between uh, policy and practice, uh, which is very uh, inherent in the very nature of what policy and what practice stands for. So policy is normative, it's a matter of discourse, whilst practice is experiential, especially youth work. We have these wonderful practitioners who are asked to put into a narrative form to translate into another paradigm uh, what is emotional, what is about human connection, but is, is the significance of change, meaningfulness and so on. So we, from the very beginning we have an impossibility of doing that. And I would rather start from a new new way of looking at what can and what uh, policy can and what policy cannot do and what practice can and what practice cannot do and uh, transfer that into a matter of, of language. So these are uh, two worlds that inherently have a structural position that um, prevents the perfect overlap. So having that in mind and uh, would, would bring us to a more a perspective that is likely to reconcile in, in a way the two professional communities uh, in some way. Of course, we have people trying to, to, to do them both, but I think we, we, we need to start not from, from blaming one another, but from a more a deeper understanding of what this um, the nature, nature of, of those rights um, is. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, you answered very well. Thank you. It's, I know it's not an easy question. <laughs> and so we win the possibility of leaving a question for our next guest. And we, we've asked you this before. Um, what would be the question you would like uh, our next guest to answer? So my question would be, I would uh, provoke your guest, guest to, to imagine an entire research institute with all the resources needed and which is willing to address any question in relation to young people. What would uh, that question uh, be? What question would she or he ask this institute to find the response to? Very, very, very good question. Very good question. And I, I think you agreed to that question, right? Or is there a second question? I'm not sure if Dunya might have a, a question herself. I had a question as well, which is actually different. And oh, uh, it, was. <laughs> it comes from my NGO perspective. And uh -huh. that's... Um, what would you do and what kind of decisions would you make if you had a chance to break three decisions that could impact youth work? 
Okay. Very, very interesting. I think these are very good questions. Um, we will have to see how our next guest will answer. Uh, I want to thank you both very, very much uh, for doing uh, for doing this podcast with us, for talking to us and sharing your expertise, your really huge knowledge on this topic, and to make us think, to make us uh, really reflect about our own um, language and our own practice as youth workers and where our focus should really be. So thank you, thank you very much. Bye. Thank, thank you very you. much, Anita. It has been a pleasure. This podcast is powered by Tim Maish, UMAC, University of Applied Sciences, and New Network Partnership.